Welcome back into the great Scott show ESPN Lafayette. I am Scott Prather. It is Friday and joining me now. I've talked to him on his show, but uh, it's been two weeks since we've chatted on these airwaves. Gus Kattengill, uh boy, a lot to get into. Don't worry. I'm sure he has some thoughts on, on Mark Ingram and the saints and we'll do that. First off, Gus, uh, good morning, man. How, how's life? How are you? Doing well, man. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's uh, Halloween weekend. One of my kids yeah. has a birthday. It's you well homecoming. Busy times, but uh, October, you know, it's almost over. I think it's the best sports month of the year. I love it because you got, you know, you got the start of basketball, start of hockey. You're in the meat of the football season, and then you got baseball in the World Series. And let, why don't we start there? Because you got Astros Braves tied at a game apiece. Game three now in Atlanta is uh, is this weekend. Um, you know, one I'll say this: I have a lot of friends that are either Braves fans or um, you know, or Astros fans in this area. A few Cubs fans, and you're a Cubs fan. You know, I, I don't, I don't. Anyone that's a Mets fan, I'm a friend with just just because we're Mets fans. But there's, you know, that's that's kind of. There's not as many of us. There's a lot of Astros and Braves fans here in Lafayette. Is there? What's it like over there in New Orleans? I mean, you're a bit, you're a bit farther east. Are there as many Astros fans there? As there are here in Lafayette. You think? Yeah, I definitely say there's there, there's a good amount, there's a healthy amount of Astros fans. I think it just ties to when you know, I mean, a lot of the guys that I know they're Astros fans. Scott Kushner covers the Pels. A couple of guys that I know, Chuck Bejo's a trainer. Um, I think. It's, you know, from the Zephyr days, no doubt. I, I mean, I still to this day think that, that was one of the reasons, man, it was such a good partnership because I, I know I did it. Um, you know, I would drive on a Saturday or Sunday to go watch a game. It's five hours, and, you know, you could, you could watch a 1 p.m. game and be home. Um, and, and I think you could watch whether it was Berkman or, you know, other guys that you saw weekly here get called up and then you could put on Fox Sports Southwest and watch them play. So I've told you this before on my show, and I've said it on your show. I think I understand baseball trying to do what's best business-wise for teams, and that is getting individual TV deals. Um, but, you know, Cubs going away from GN, Braves going away from TBS, yeah. and every team having their own, I think, has killed baseball. I, I what. Well, it's hurt them. Killed, yeah. Um, killed's a bit strong. But. You know, and, yeah, I mean, because, well, I say that in this, Scott, is that, and, and you know this, man, you go to a playground, you go to a park, uh, soccer, and I know people don't want to hear this because you don't care about it, you didn't grow up with it, but I'm telling you, I, I mean, I like, for the most part, baseball's gotten even more marginalized from this standpoint because that's the sport I grew up in. So I feel like I can somewhat talk about it. I've coached it. I've coached softball, all-stars. I've coached, you know, West Bank, uh, you know, all-star. Like, I've, I've coached a decent amount and played a decent amount. And I just think it, it's gotten so much it's, – it's gotten the, the, scape, the scope of – play has gotten narrower it's it's become so focused on travel where if you don't do that scott my kids five in december and if i don't start putting them in literally these places like um you know these baseball camps and these people that like help get the teams get ready and 
you know, the ones that go play in the Little League, Little League World Series. Lafayette always has a good team. I know there's one in New Orleans that won the World Series two years ago. Those kids are playing together in travel ball from literally the age of five and six. And if you're not doing that, it just makes it really hard for you to get in or even be good enough to do that um, or coaches to know who your kid is. You're not playing high school baseball right now if you're not coming off of a travel team. Um, and it's year-round, and I think it's – I mean, I, 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 you can just keep adding a pyramid to this, Scott. I think it leads to injuries. I think – I mean, I, and then you add the lack of scholarships. I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, we've talked about it as a family here. If I put my kid in the travel ball, it's a lot of money on a family, a lot of time, and I'm hoping that he gets picked on the university that I'm probably going to have to pay for. You know, unless he's really good, he might get partial. Uh, very, very few get a full. So – I'm just looking at the end game. I mean, my kid could be a third-string tight end, never see the field for the Cajuns or the Tigers or the Lions to get a scholarship, um, you know, in football or, or even in soccer. So, uh, I, it just – man, baseball's just changed. I'm 45 from me playing at the playground level and, and waiting every summer to play and trying to make it at Brother Martin and playing there. It, it's, it's so different now, and I think you, you add that – with the lack of really, especially like in a city or a state like us that doesn't have a team per se, where do you get that love of baseball from? Other than say your dad, like you're a Mets guy, but you're you're like probably having to find or pay for to watch Mets games oh, yeah. to get your kid to be a Mets fan. Oh, you yeah. know? So um, I just think when you add all of that, it just – it just makes it tougher, and I guess and a lot more different. I mean, I I still see cars with stickers and some teams and stuff, man, but it, it's dwindled. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's dwindled. I mean, I used to see a lot more Cubs stickers and Astros stickers, and around here in New Orleans, there's three teams. It's the Cubs, the Braves, the Astros. Why? TBS, WGN, Fox Sports Southwest. Uh-huh. So, you know, you're looking at generations now of kids growing up where there isn't baseball on every single day on a specific team. I'm not saying that you can't catch a game every day. ESPN, MLB Network, they'll have those. You can go on ESPN Plus now, again, a paid subscription, and and watch games and and stuff like that. But I'm talking about where when I grew up during the summer, I mean, the leadoff man was, I mean, I'd fall asleep, take a nap, or I'm playing. I mean, Perry Carey and Steve Stone, I thought were family members. I, I could... You know, I, their voice was imprinted in my head. I learned the game from Steve Stone breaking down stuff. Harry, you know, I just, I mean, it, it actually, I, I told you this already, it's why I got into broadcasting. I, I wanted to be the voice of the Chicago Cubs. I wanted to do what Harry Carey did. I wanted to be in the stands and drinking ice cold Budweiser's and, you know, butchering names and having fun and looking at the girls. I mean, I mean, that's, that's what I wanted to do. So, I mean, but where is Carver seeing that right now? You know, I mean, so I, I just – that game has changed so much, dude. And especially like this postseason for me, you know, you always have the World Series be called the Fall Classic. I call it the, you know, what what could have been postseason for me. You know, Jorge Soler leads the the, the, the game yesterday, former Cub, home run. Kobe uh, – Chris Bryant had a nice postseason with the Giants. You're, you're seeing Schwarber with the Red Sox. I mean, it's just Cub after Cub after Cub. <laughs> on other teams doing stuff, man. So, look, I'm always going to be a Cub fan, but, look, I'll be honest with you. Like I said, 
it, it, it it's harder and harder to, to follow, and, and it's because of what I do, and I have a weekly segment to talk MLB throughout the season, um, and I bring on baseball guests, but if I didn't do that, I, it's, again, it, it's just hard, and even if I get my kid to play baseball and he wants to do it and he, and he does all that, I mean, it, it honestly is now in line like with golf, and, you know, and I say the same thing with soccer. I mean, soccer, I, I talk to soccer coaches, people that have played overseas or whatever, and their big problem with American soccer is that, you know, they follow the American business model where it is travel. It's about travel, and you go to Europe, and it's not like that. The reason why it's the world's game is because literally poor people can play it, and that's not the case here in America. It's, you know, it's like it, it really is. It, it's like golf. It's like everything else. You kind of have to have money, join clubs, and travel if you want to get seen or looked at or even learn the sport, and it, it's just kind of where it is right now, man, you know? who With that, you know, talking about the interest in it, and there are some local interest because of the teams playing in it, but overall interest, you know, it's um, not what it was when we were kids. No. Having, having said all of that, um, even if your interest level isn't certainly as high as it was, I remember <laughs> five years ago, what, um, what, what is there, is there a team you're rooting for here? And how do you think this series plays out? Well, I'm rooting for the Braves. And it's not, you know, I mean, partly, yeah, I guess part of it is the whole what happened with Houston in its past, and they're just not very likable. <laughs> I mean, I get Bregman played for LSU, which felt I just, um, you know, I mean, maybe it's, I have some family ties in Atlanta and I've kind of um, been doing a lot more in Georgia the last two years, so I kind of know that. I know a couple of buddies that are Braves fans that cover the Saints or work for the Pelicans and stuff. And like I told you, growing up, a lot of my good friends were, Braves fans, you know, from Murphy to all that. I still remember Sid Bream crossing the plate. So, you know, I just like good stories in sports. And it's remarkable to think that since 1999, they hadn't been in the World Series. So, yeah, I'm rooting for them. I mean, look, congrats to Houston. What is it, three of the last four, two of the last three, whatever they've been in the you know, World Series. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'm being a Cub fan. I'm kind of looking for the team that hadn't been there and done it and won it. So, um Look, they one one going to you know Atlanta. Let's let's see what happens. It should be fun. ESPN uh, Lafayette, Scott Prather, Gus Kangio. All right, let's talk hoops before we dig into the Saints. Pelicans, uh, they're off to a one and four start. Uh, they lost a, a tight win on Wednesday night to the Hawks, nationally televised. Um, this team plays hard. This team's missing yeah. Zion. I don't know when he's going to be back. He, I mean, I, I'm not even joking. It's like they say the. the <laughs> They say TV cameras add 10 pounds. It looks like Zion ate about 10 TV cameras. He he is so big right now, Gus, that I worry that when he does come back, it's going to take a while for him to get settled. And yet, you look at this team, you look how they play, you you look at, uh, you know, the, I mean, Herb Jones and what is, you know, the positive story that's been. Valanchunas has, has he's, look, they need, he, he, I don't know that he can continue to play as many minutes as he's playing. Devontae Graham, Brandon Ingram. We can look at some positives. The negatives are, you know, they're one in four. They're not getting a ton of bench production. Uh, but when Zion comes back, a lot of people feel like things are going to really start to come together. Still sidelined with the injuries. I, I, fans have been debating what kind of impact he'll have when he does return. Taking into account his, his size right now. 
What do you think this team's going to look like once Zion is injected into this roster? It's a good question, man. I, you know, I preface this by saying, you know, just by coming on my show the last couple of weeks, and I've told you this already, and, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to, you know, lead some sort of charge or anything. I just, I, I think I, I'm true to who I am, and, and I call it a job, but I think it's important to be objective and to look at it as it is. And, you know, for so long, maybe I got rubbed the wrong way, but it's a, it's a dot on a timeline, right? So we go to the dot, Scott, of I'm unhappy after 90 games. Fair or not fair, that, that happened. So when I see that and I hear that and it's not clarified, well, then you must feel it. And I understand, and, you know, we've all talked about it, and Pels fans know it, and quite honestly, David Griffin admitted. Last year was an unmitigated disaster. Um, the roster he put together was absolutely ter- terrible. He picked absolutely the wrong coach. It didn't work. And I've used this as an analogy, whether it's alcoholism, relationship, job, you have to admit there's a problem before you can fix it. He did. He tried to fix it. So here, this is where we are. Now you have to see if it works or not. Um, the job that he has done since he's gotten here hasn't been good. I mean, there's just no other way to look at it, right? And, again, fair or not fair, comparisons happen. So before we even get to him, Zion, you look at the roster you built and draft picks afterwards. Nikhil's a nice player. Um, I have no idea what Jackson Hayes is going to be. And if you're picking him where you pick him, he's got to do something good, better than anything else. And I don't know what that is. Um, and, again, fair or not fair, like when you looked at Davenport the first couple of years, and there's Lamar and Jair Alexander, you always are going to look at who could have gotten picked. And, again, fair or not fair, but that's reality. And you're looking at Tyler Hero and other guys that were picked after Jackson Hayes, and they are absolute NBA players and, and pickers. I'm asking you, is Jackson Hayes a starter in this league? I don't see that happening. Could, can he eventually do that? Can he have that David West transformation where David didn't absolutely at all look like the player that he wound up being? Sure, I'll give that benefit of the doubt, but do you see that happening? I don't. So he's going to be a role player at best. You're already got three first-round picks, man, and you, you get to Zion, and again, fair or not fair, it doesn't help when you look at him and you see that after that game on, on Wednesday, Scott, and, you know, the game is followed up by Jean Morant and, and, and Damian Lillard. And we know what Dame can do. And you know what you have to have in the Western Conference. And you look at a guy that has started the season in Ja, who's mentally come out and said, I'm out to get you, one way, shape, or form, every game. He wants to be great. And, man, it's easy to look there and say, well, I need this around me. That's great. You know, and, and obviously the poster individual for that is LeBron. But LeBron's put in time, work, effort, energy. His game has gotten better. He's been in big games. He's led things. He's won titles. He's won all-stars. I mean, he's done that. For 90 games, you say that, man, at the very least, you better, damn it, you better be in shape. Like, that, I, just, I, I just look at it like that, you know, like, for all the stuff that we gave AD, and I defended him with the injuries because most of them were effort 
you know, diving and doing those things. He had nothing around him, and he was an improved player every year. He added something to his game. 90 games in, you're telling me you ain't happy and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, now what are you doing, though, at the same time? And, and I only use that because, Scott, you're that player. You're a franchise player. When you're a franchise player, a max player, certain expectations and level come in. It's not just him. It's Ben Simmons. When you get those deals or you are drafted in certain spots, number one overall, you are expected to be the person everyone builds around because you are leading the charge. The help around you is to assist you in you leading. And I understand, and you could throw me the numbers last year, but I'm asking you, did you win games? Did you make a stop? Did you make an effort? Like, you know, I, I talked to David Griffin in media day, and I, and I said that to him and Tracy Langdon when they were sitting across from me. When you watched the Milwaukee Bucks win the title last year and the series changed, there were effort plays and defensive plays by Giannis, by Drew, and by Middleton. And they, they led it. They did it. At some point in time, whether it's through attrition, whether through its age, whether it's through years in the league, at some point, this Pelican franchise is only going to go as far as, you t- as your best players, as your franchise player. And if your franchise player is not meeting teammates to work out in the summer, is ghosting Brandon Ingram, is clearly putting on weight, and don't give me this because he had a broken foot, man. I, I was having this discussion on Wednesday with several people that were watching him and getting maybe their first glimpse snatch. So I saw him in media day, and I was like, this dude's three bills. I mean, I, what did you do before the broken foot? Like, I, I just, I, I'm at a loss. Like, there's no – but then again, should I be surprised? The guy leaves the, the bubble for a weekend and comes back and looks 20 pounds heavier. But I'm at a loss in today's day and age, Scott, where you have personal trainers. And I'm talking about back in the day when Chris Paul was here. Chris Paul and Reggie Bush had the same chef. I personally know my good buddy from Southern Miss, his wife, um, uh, Tasha, she, she is a cook, like for Brandon Ingram. And so, like, she makes meals and prepares meals. For Saints and Pelicans players. So when you make that kind of money and you're that kind of status, you don't even have to cook. Inside the team, I, I knew the personal trainer that AD had. Like he was the trainer for AD, and then the Pelicans had another trainer. So he did nothing but work with AD. He traveled with AD in the offseason. When he went on vacation, he went with AD. Like he eat, breathed, and slept with AD. Wherever AD went, that guy was with him. So I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, it, it's inexcusable to me. And, and quite honestly, for fans that are like, man, they're one and four, I'm like, you know what? Blame. I mean, well, he got hurt, Gus. You're right. He did. He probably maybe wouldn't have gotten hurt if he would have been healthier. Well, that's not fair, Gus. You can always break your foot. Just You're right. But when everyone in the world is saying when you carry that weight, things that maybe other guys bounce off of become more effective. You, you had Vince Carter last week on ESPN's NBA Today saying uh, the pounding and what you have to do just to work out on that frame is going to take a toll. And I, I just, I, like I said, I don't understand it. You, you literally should have had the shot doctor, Fred Vincent, like literally have to complain to, to David Griffin, 
tell Zion to let me have a day off. I don't understand why he didn't spend every waking moment with him. He never spent a minute with him, from my understanding. That's, like, that's unimaginable. Yeah. He fixed Lonzo Ball. He's helped Brandon Ingram. He helped develop Anthony Davis, and you don't work out with him. So you're asking me what kind of team he's going to be. From a basketball standpoint, he's going to have to integrate with guys that hustle, play hard, want to play defense, and have bought into Willie Green. I think he can do that, but I am very interested, and I've said this. You can tell me the theme is playoffs. You can tell me the theme is playing. I'm going to tell you the theme for this year. What has that guy done to develop for the next year? Period. Has he developed a better shot? Is he playing better defense? I mean, the days of him blocking threes in the corner at Virginia when Duke was – you know, playing them, I, I don't even know who that guy is anymore. I, so am I being harsh on him? I don't know. But I'm just telling you from, you know, when, when I look at it, I mean, you have a guy in Jameis Winston who was trying to win the coaching, I mean, the, the quarterback position for the Saints, and he spent all summer working out with people, you know, doing stuff. Why are you not? So I, I, I don't I, – I have literally approached it this year – and in the start of the season, as those are the guys on the court, those are the guys that are trying and are battling. And if you watch that game, Atlanta is far ahead of where the Pels are. They have much better talent. They have a much better score. They have a very good low post player um, in Capella. They have a very good and seasoned veteran coach, and the Pels gave them a lot of game. I know they're one in four. And as I've said on my show, you have to look at it as growing and learning steps. Brandon Ingram told me on media day, it's two months. He said, with this team, I'll tell you how good we are in two months. That's a guy that's on the squad, in the locker room, and an all-star. So I'm going to go by him. So, yeah, it stinks. You want wins. You look at the schedule. Dude, I don't even want to tell you about next week. That four-game road trip, I mean, Sacramento is your only game where you're going, you better win. You're facing Phoenix. You're facing Golden State, and you're facing Dallas. All those teams can score. You're trying to find a way to score. But there are good little bits that you can take out of this, and you're seeing. You mentioned Herbert Jones. Devontae Graham's getting better by the game. And and quite honestly, I wish he would have been involved in at least the pass or something. Um, And, and, you know, when they were down one and B.I. took a shot against three, I just moved the ball and, and trust other guys and see if they can do it. They were stealing it that game. I really like Valentunas. He's much better than Steven Adams. I love Trey Murphy. I wish he was starting. I think he's a better starter than he is a bench player. Your bench is going to get better when Zion comes in because then it'll either be Jones and Murphy and, and Najee and those guys. So Willie's still trying to figure out the rotations. But again, Scott, we're stuck in neutral because you can't truly evaluate, sort of like the Saints, until Michael Thomas comes back, until some of the other offensive players come back. You can't evaluate how good the Pell's offense is going to be until your boy gets back on the court. And judging by what Willie Green said two, you know, three days ago now on Tuesday's practice, in which he said he, he's not you know, full go yet, um, I was told by somebody on the team he needs to go through three full contact practices before they can clear him. I mean, that's two, three weeks away, man. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know. It, yeah, it yeah. may be sooner, but to your point, I don't think it's the foot anymore. I've said this. They're not saying it. I'm saying it. I don't know if it's the foot anymore. I think it's conditioning, Scott. The fact that you have seen video of him doing push-ups and calisthenics and, you know, what basically turned out to be a workout class at a gym, 
um, that has to do with nothing to do with weight and using your own body. It's to get in shape. He, like, and that's the thing is, if you're remotely close to three bills, that, that is a lot of. That's a lot. I, I, well, I don't know what kind of stamina you're going to have, menace-wise. So when he does come back, the dreaded minute restrictions is coming in. And look, man, I, I know he got injured. You don't have to get injured. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to go with this. How much work did you put in to keep your body healthy? Every great in the NBA tells you they spend thousands, millions. LeBron, I spend a million on my body. You know, you've seen him doing spots for Tonal. ADs look transformed. Jackson Hayes put on weight. Brandon Ingram put on weight. You have got to put in the work. Drew Brees is wearing a gold jacket in a couple of years because that guy worked. When the season ended, he took a week or two off. He went to Hawaii, and he worked. And if you're going to show up three bills, I, I don't know what to tell you. I just, I, I'm, I'm just saying, how much work are you putting in? You know? Gus Cadengale, our guest. It's ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. Talked a little uh, World Series. Talked Pels. Going to talk briefly about Billy Napier, your homecoming. But, of course, the Saints. You're talking about Brandon Ingram in a positive way. How about that other Ingram? That's right. Mark Ingram is back. I'm waiting for Gus to troll me. It's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show. show ESPN Lafayette coming up next hour we'll visit with Paul Bacco former major league catcher he spent some time with Gus Cadengale Chicago Cubs he's going into the Louisiana Rage Cajun Hall of Fame tonight as is the late great Tony Robichaux Phil Devey and Ashley Brignac Domek Dr. Ashley Brignac Domek will also be on with me next hour Gus uh he ain't going to Canton he's not going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame but you know one day Mark Ingram will be in the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. And when that news came out Wednesday, uh, I, I don't even know if Saints fans have even paid attention to what he's done in his seven games in Houston this year. Get about 13 touches a game. It didn't matter. It wasn't even as much about the play on the field. We'll get to that in a minute. But the reaction from Kamara, obviously, the reaction from Armstead, the reaction to everybody that's that's currently with the Saints, Cam Jordan, that has played with Ingram in the past in New Orleans. It's like, what did Teron say? Welcome back, family. Um, I know you're just waiting to troll me here, but there had to be some part of you that was just, your, your heartstrings were getting tugged just a little bit, dude. Look, man, it's a good day for you. Maybe not so much for your wife, because now the Mark Ingram tattoo that's on your lower back. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll find a way to expose it. <laughs> No, you love it. Lower oh, back. I get it, dude. Oh, I know where it's at. You showed it to me. Um, 
Look, man, I'll say this. That there's something to be said, and, and, I, and I legitimately think this, and you and I talked about this back on Wednesday on my show. Um, I truly think this is the best coaching performance Sean Payton's ever. Like, to the point where I, I will make it a point in my life to push this guy as a Hall of Fame coach. If, if he can get this team to postseason and start kind of a whole new genre of postseasons and a couple of playoffs, maybe make it to the Super Bowl again, man – he has built something that's so hard to do. It really is. And we saw when you don't do it well, what happens in Baton Rouge. And that is building a locker room. There's, there's a rhyme and reason to why Bama is Bama. Gosh, they get all the great players. Sure they do. Why, though? Why do all the players want to go there? And it's actually harder if you, you know, follow Phil Jackson, the Bulls, and all these grades, LeBron, Kobe, all that. It, it's not easy to get a collective of great talent and get everybody to work together and, Scott, buy into the team concept. Um, when you get a bunch of really good individual athletes, they're really good individually. How do you get them for a moment to at least be distracted enough to know if we, if we do it together collectively, most of you guys are going to get drafted? It's now a, a, it's a machine that feeds itself at Bama. But you could almost say that with the Saints here as well. The, the next man up mentality, the leadership, all of that. I mean, the last two weeks have been so fun to listen to. Demario Davis, the young guys like Adebo, even Alvin Kamara, you see him take a leadership role. When, when Alvin says, man, the, the attention to detail and how meticulous Sean is to prepare your players on every little aspect of it, um, listening to Drew and the Manning cast saying, hey, a lot of times in plays like this, you're going back and, and thinking of a play that maybe another team used against this defensive coordinator and this team that worked. And that, that's effort, that's work, that's, that's thinking outside the box and then just being overly prepared to where when you play in the game, nothing shocks or surprises you when you're calm and it's now just time to execute. You know, I go back to Years ago where, you know, Alabama beat LSU and it was their quarterback afterwards, forgot his name. Um, but he said, you know, it was a two-minute drill that they came up with. And he goes, man, we practiced that all week. It was two-minute drill. Nick Saban knew exactly what they want to call on defense, LSU. So when I lined up, I knew the play we called. We practiced every week. I knew it was going to work against that play. And I sort of feel that way with the Saints. And it's because of the locker room Sean Payton has built. So how do I tie this into Mark Ingram? He's one of those components. When you look at the growth of Alvin Kamara, I don't think, Scott, you can look at Alvin's growth without the nurturing of Mark Ingram and the transformation of Mark Ingram when you think about it. When he first got here, this was a guy that, if you remember, slammed his helmet and, and, and publicly you know, got upset if Pierre Thomas or, Red or whatever you know, was getting the ball. And it wasn't him. You, you remember that the early times of marking. Yeah, I, I, you know, Gus, Gus, Catengill, uh, our guest, uh, ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was saying that yesterday. Ingram's story. I believe it or not, uh, I was as hard on him as the next guy, and he, um, he. It, it took years for the Saints fans to kind of embrace him. And Absolutely. he signed Absolutely. he signed that contract after his rookie deal, stayed in New Orleans, didn't get paid as much as CJ Spiller, who
who the Saints signed that same offseason. And the fan base was more excited about Spiller. And Ingram got better and better each year. Worked harder and harder. Made it to the Pro Bowl twice. And by the time, you know, he's in, you know, year year eight with the team, it was like he finally was kind of getting the, the adulation I think he deserved. And I thought I thought he had earned it a few years prior to that. But he kept he kept grinding and, and I saw the difference and I, I started to praise him, you know, twenty fifteen ish about Hey man, this guy's really good. Uh, you need to, we, Saints need to, you know, the fan base needs to appreciate him more. So he kind of went from not the most liked player, uh, and in in a lot of cases, kind of disliked by some of the fan base. Certainly not celebrated. I guess we'll put it that way. To this beloved guy, and you know, he didn't get the the, the I guess the proper send off for his time in New Orleans, and he was 90 yards short of breaking Deuce's rushing yards record, and he was, um, you know, he has the, the the touchdown record. But now with this trade coming back, he kind of gets that. Uh, and, and I think and I think he deserves it. And with that, let's, let's talk about his actual impact on the field, though. With the impact on the field, I just look at it as he's not as good as he was a couple of years ago with the Saints. That's a fact. But what do the Saints have right now at running back? Latavius Murray was cut. Tony Jones Jr., big, you know, big expectations. And he is, uh, you know, he's, he's hurt. Dwayne Washington's hurt. Devin Azigbo, uh, these guys, it's not like they're coming in. I mean, Lamar Miller. Ingram is better than, than, than all of those guys at this point. And when you're Alvin Kamara... And he's going to end up breaking all these records. Ingram's going to break anyway at some point. When you're Alvin Kamara and you're getting as many touches as you are, he's averaging over 23 touches a game, most in his career. You got a 17 game season. Uh, Ingram will, if he stays healthy, will actually play 18 regular season games, which is nuts. But the workload, the heavy workload for Kamara, taking some of that off of him with Ingram. The on-field impact, Gus, what do you see? Outside of giving Kamara a little bit of rest, what kind of on-field impact do you see him having? It's tough to kind of look at. It's definitely going to give him a breather, obviously. I definitely think it does give you um, – and I think what you could best hope for, I guess is, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm hoping, because, look, when you look at – when he first got to Baltimore, he was an impact player there, kind of got faced out, so I let him go there. Goes to Houston, he has one touchdown. Um, Houston's sort of a mess offensively, so I can't really – so how much does he have left in the tank? I guess that's where you look at this, right? And with the running back, Scott, as you know, every season, man, is, is years. And um, I, I think the screen game, I think protection – on on passing downs, I think making calls pre-snap, helping Jameis what you want to do in that offense when he's on the field. Um, things like that and understanding what's expected and what they're going to do. He also, when he left here in his last year, was a guy that I thought – ran hard and it could be a seven yard run on the third and three, but it was at the time of the game when you needed it to happen and got the crowd going, showed emotion, you know, he's going to show up. Um, so I think on the field, I think that's what you're getting. You're, 
you know, to use the analogy in baseball, as you we started talking about in our conversation with the World Series, I don't think he's going to be, say, you know, Mariano Rivera or something like that come in. But a lot of times these baseball teams before the postseason run, Scott, as you know, they'll pick up a guy that can just be maybe that sixth, seventh inning guy, the, the guy that can come off the bench and get the key hit, a defensive uh, player that can do that. But together can really help that team take that next step and win. So I, I think that's what you see. Like, I, I would be shocked if all of a sudden it becomes, you know, a, a integral part of this offense and key part, but at the same time, you look at this offense, goodness gracious, after Monday's performance, other than Alvin Kamara, who do you have? So, you know, I mean, I've seen things on Twitter where, you know what, put Kamara in the slot and put Ingram as your running back, you at least have two options now. So, well, like I said, he, can, can he get you some yards and stuff? Sure. I think he can get you first downs, he can get you protection, he's going to run hard, short yardage, you got to back. Um, and like I said, just helping Jameis understand what to do. That's just another voice standing right next to him in between plays on the sideline. Who's vocal? Who's vocal? And I'm not saying Alvin isn't, but elsewhere on that team, who's coming up to Jameis right now and telling him what they need to do that's been on that offense? You know what I'm saying? And, and Alvin's more of a quieter person. He does go do that with his teammates, but I'm talking about Ingram as a guy that understands his offense enough and work with Drew enough that I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see, you know, Mark Ingram with Drew on the sidelines and talking to him. I, I liked what I saw from Jameis um, go after Traquan a bit, you know, taking some ownership. Oh, Sean Payton liked that too. You, you could see it on oh, Sean Payton's face. He was oh, like, ooh, no, he, go he, ahead. He, yeah, he turned around and said, go handle your business. Because, look, we have to remember this. Um, they played six games. He's played six games. He's played six games in this offense. And we're used to a guy that played 15 years in this offense, in Drew Brees. He's played six games. And quite honestly, with pedestrian talent at the skill position other than Alvin Kamara, the two tight ends are pedestrian. I mean, they're not, that's not an insult. It's just what it is. Um, Troutman, if he had maybe another veteran tight end or something, he'd be learning and growing. I mean, Jawan Johnson's nice when you get him the ball and stuff, but, I mean, so much of what Josh Hill and Traquan Smith did last year and in the years past is the blocking on the run game, the understanding of the other elements uh, of the offense. So, you know, you add that, and, and then, man, you play a game like Monday without Deontay Harris, without Taysom Hill. That literally became a game like Denver last year. Just win it. I don't care how you win it. Just win it. Find a way, and they did. And you have to look at it like that. So, you know, this week alone, I, you might it's 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 a month maybe before you see Thomas, man. I, I mean, just the indication that I'm getting. Yeah. So, um, and even when he comes in, what kind of infusion is going to be? It's going to be a defensive led sort of team. So, to answer your question, anything that he can do on the offensive end. I think it's a it's a bonus, whether it's a weapon, whether it's helping with protection, understanding the offense, helping Jameis in-game, during drives, hey, this is what they're doing, maybe try this, do this, do that, standing next to him, picking up a blitz or in protection where maybe the other guys don't know what to do. I mean, Alvin Kamara, you know, missed a blitz pickup if you saw the Manning cast where, 
you know, Peyton was like, who should Kamara have gotten here? Two guys are coming free. And Drew said there was miscommunication, that he probably should have got the guy on the outside, you know, on it. And, and Kamara went on the inside, and Jameis was pressing, the ball was tipped. So it's little things like that that I think will become a big thing, if that makes sense to you, Scott. I know it sounds very minute, but literally picking up the right blitzer allows a better passing lane, a better pocket, more time for a better throw by Jameis Winston. And what if that's a touchdown? What if that's a first down? What if that's a completion, you know, to get momentum? I mean, I, I actually think it, it, it's probably one of the bigger pickups, man, to, to be honest with you. Um, I'm interested to see how it goes. Gus Kangil, our guest. All right, well, let's let's close with this on the Saints. Halloween, this Sunday, three twenty-five, Tampa Bay. Oh, well, you know, the Saints play Geno Smith. If they play like that against Tampa, they, okay, I wow, good. You didn't need a PhD to tell me they need to play better than they did Monday night. Although <laughs> I'll tell you, if the defense plays like that. It's harder to play against Tom Brady. I get it. But, um, yeah, the offense needs to bring it. The receivers have been uh, atrocious, with the exception of Callaway at times. Um, And yet, they're back at home. They haven't had many of those there this year. It's a team they beat twice last year and then lost in the playoffs. It's a divisional game. Emotions are running high. This game, uh, you know, Tampa Bay right now is a five-and-a-half-point road favorite, Gus, from a betting standpoint. You know, the, the betters aren't liking the Saints too much in this one. They're at home. What chances do you give them this Sunday? Uh, make a prediction on the game, and then we'll let you run. I'll say this. What, what's interesting this year, Scott, is you start looking at it by this. There have been a lot more road teams winning the Saints. What is it, 20 of their last 28 or something like that? Mm-hmm. that they've won. So road teams are winning. Um, the Giants game was a disappointment. I, I, I thought there might have been a bigger crowd. Now, look, I, I'm going to say at that time, and still right now there's a lot of recovery going on. There are a lot of people doing a lot of stuff and cleanup on weekends, and, and I get that. You had money. You had a lot of things. I mean, it costs a lot of people to evacuate that they are repairing. So I, I'm going to throw in a little of that. But that place has got to start becoming a dome field advantage. And it's just, it's just not right now. So I don't think, you know, environments, so can it help? Can it not? We'll see. I had people call this week and say, well, look, look who they've beaten. The Bucks haven't stopped it. Tom Brady is playing stupid football right now. Um, he's completely gotten what they want to do on offense. Everyone on that offense is playing in stink in unison, and he looks so comfortable at Philly. The, the, the pockets he's getting, the, the reads he's getting, it, it's you're going to have to score. So I understand what you're saying. You're right. Every game is different. And, you know, Monday's game was Monday's game. But the Saints are going to have to. Like, I, I'm thinking when I think of Sunday, you know, Scott, I'm thinking – Superdome special, you know, the end arounds, the Alvin Kamara is going to throw a pass in this game. Um, you know, I, I, I just think that, you, you know, fake punts, block punts, like you're going to need something like that, I think. If you're just lining up and hoping that your 22 goes up against their 22, 
you can make it a close game. You might win it. I just think, man, it's going to be really, really hard right now. They're a better football team. It's okay to say it. They, they are. Um, but how do you win it now? So here's your challenge. Defensively, you're going to have to play darn near perfect. You, you can't give up the big plays. Now, the Saints gave up one big play primarily because Marcus Williams did a Marcus Williams. I, for the life of me, I still cannot understand why he started to stutter his feet and slow down Mm-mm. instead of running through DK Metcalf. If he hits him after Metcalf catches it, he may drop it. He at the very least pelays him out of bounds. If he goes full speed, at worst, he's two hands shoving him out of bounds or bumping him enough where maybe his balance takes him out of bounds. The guy stopped. I, 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 for the life of me, I can understand it. Now, that said, DK Metcalf caught one more ball the rest of the game. Targeted five times, he had two catches. That's it. So they, fig- they figured it out. Um, DeMario Davis is playing possessed. And more importantly, why is he playing so well? He didn't, and, and he, he benefits from having another backer to do some stuff. And that's why Quan Alexander was so important. And you saw when he got back and he played, DeMario Davis was back. And the thing is, Pete Werner started last week. Quan was up. He registered a tackle, and he Mm -hmm. had a tackle for loss. So he played. He didn't start. If Kawhi Alexander is your depth, that's good. And I think Pete Werner's playing the way DeMario Davis talked about him last Saturday at the practice. You're seeing why DeMario's able to be free and go do stuff because they trust that Werner's going to be there to clean stuff up and, and, and be sound. That's key. Getting Davenport back was key. He had one of his better games. Even those stats will tell you it's one tackle, one tackle for loss. Um, I, I think Anyamata is going to be massive. That right there. He, 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 he is going to have massive. a monster game Sunday, um, I'm just telling you. I, Mike Evans has had a nice start. Antonio Brown was seen with crutches this week. Not having him is going to hurt. Gronkowski's still not healthy. You have good corner play with the Saints. That's going to help. Debo's played well. You no know Brady's going to go after him. There'll be a plan for that. I think Chauncey, he really hasn't had an impact this season. So maybe you can do that. You're going to have to steal some moments. Um, so I think you're going to have to steal a possession, get an interception, get a third down, stop him on a fourth. The defense is going to have to do something to say, all right, here we go offense. And I think the Saints offense is going to have one or two drives this game where here it is. Here's the game. It could be in the first quarter. It could be in the fourth. I think the Saints offense is going to have to make a play. And it, I, I think, honestly, Jameis needs to just have the most relaxed, just I'm going out playing this former team that didn't want me and just wing it, man. Just just play free. I think he's he's so petrified of making a mistake that he's not using his capabilities. I mean – he said it after the game on Monday. He wants to run last and pass first. I thought at Green Bay, the mentality he played with was, if it's not there, I'm gone. And he picked the three first downs in the first quarter, and I thought it set the tone mm-hmm. for that Saints offense this year. He needs to use what he is best at. He's got a strong arm. Fire it. See something, fire it. Fire it to a spot. Take chances. It's a pick, it's a pick. You can't worry about it. If it's not there initially, because the guys can't get open, Troutman's not looking back, Traquan's blocking instead of turning around for a pass, run. Run. 
just run, get six yards, get a first down. I think he just needs to be aggressive mentally and and and, and just, you know, go out there and, and just play. I, I absolutely think they're beatable. I mean, I've watched most of their games this year. Tampa's playing very well, but you, you can't you can't be afraid, you know? And I think when you look at these two teams and they play each other, the Saints feel like they kind of have their number a bit. And I know what, I got a lot of calls this week. Well, do they smoked them twice last year in the regular season? That is not the same team. They're, the Saints yeah. do not have the same team. Not, not even so, close. No. So, but I think it could be fun. I'll say this. I do think if they could find a way to win this game Sunday, man, that, that, that might be a little platform for them. Because now you talk about a couple of wins in a row you're stringing. You got the Dirty Birds the following week. You know, I, I, I just think you could really start getting that Sean Payton thing over the last couple of years, six, seven, eight, nine wins in a row, man. That's why I think Sunday's kind of big odds, father time. At some point, this guy's got to have a bad game, right? At some point, Tampa just doesn't show up. I just, they're playing well, but why not is the way I sort of look at it. I, I honestly think this team plays better with a chip on its shoulder. And I guarantee you them being down five and a half, it's talked about. I guarantee you everyone thinking that the Bucks are who they are and they're playing with just cockiness, that gets to it. And again, I think the key of keys is number two. This is a team, man. This is a team that literally said deuces. And here's your, here's your chance. You know, you get them twice and – I, I just think, like I said, to me, the key is to, for Jameis to just, you know what, coach, I, I'd almost just pat Sean on the back, give him like a Sam's or Costco size pack of juicy fruit and Sam's sorry as a gift card to steak place. I'm just going to go play, you know, and just, just play free, man. If it's a mistake, it's a mistake. Drew didn't think like that. Drew just played. If it was a mistake, we'll come back the next play. I mean, it just – you can't do it. I just I see a quarterback that's definitely afraid of making mistakes and, and second-guessing himself. When he won the starting job, he was playing free because he knew it was preseason. And I, I, that's just my – that's my – because we haven't seen him sort of play like that other than the Jags game and the Bucks game, you know, where he just played free and aggressive. And I'd like to see him do that. If he does that, Scott, they could win the game. He can make those plays. And, you know, if it gets to the point where he's tattooing people and hitting them in the numbers and people are getting, you know, balls bounced off their face masks because they can't catch it, well, then boo birds come out for the skilled players. But Jameis has got to go out there and win the game on the offensive side. It can't be just Alvin. It can't be everything else. At some point in time in the NFL, your quarterback has to make plays. He has to be the guy that you believe you can make plays. You're seeing it in Cincinnati. They believe in Joe Burrow. The defense believes in him, so they're playing hard. The offense believes in him, so they're blocking better. You have got to start believing in two. I don't know if it's there yet. I don't think it's there yet. The Saints have got to start believing Jameis Winston can win games. Saints-Bucks this Sunday, Halloween. That is Gus Cadgill. He has been our guest, Pro Nola segment in the books. Gus, uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit about Billy Napier, but we'll do that next week. Yeah. I know you talk to Billy each week. You sure? And, uh, you sure? You sure you want me to talk about it? Because I don't know if your your listeners want to hear what I have to say, man. <laughs> That's a hell of a tease. Um, well, you know, I mean, I, I think I think most listeners know that it, at some point, 
he'll uh, he'll be at a P five school, and when he is, I I think he'll win a national championship. But uh, how, how about I just tease this? Can I just say this because you and I talked about this on Wednesday, and you agree with me on this? Uh, I I find a lot of similarities in, in Billy Napier and Sean Payton. And, and, and look, I mean, I, I cut a lot of sound. I've covered him since his, um, you know, interview press conference. It's so weird when you think of access now compared to access then. You know, the Saints that year when they were looking for a head coach and they brought in quarterbacks. I remember interviewing Drew Brees in the indoor practice facility when he just came in for, you know, the interview. Um, in the time that Sean's been here, there's certain phrases – mindset, philosophies, and just the way he approaches and thinks of the game and, and his development and involvement, to be honest with you. Um, Sean's evolved from a very emotional, you know, off-the-cuff, very, you know, hyper, strange sort of guy to get better than he was. He's still, I think, suffers from that. You and I talked about that, you know, but I I had an interview Tuesday with Coach Man, Coach Napier, and I literally cut the two responses to how he viewed the 20-play drive that won that game and also his philosophy on on fourth down and just things like, man, the last three off-seasons we studied fourth downs, just analytics practicing, talking about it. I just, on our show, have constantly chatted about when you watch the Cajuns play, it could be a basic run in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, and you see in unison whatever color jerseys they're wearing, white, red, whatever, just get up at the same time and move in the same direction. Players not going out of bounds trying to get that extra yard. Ball security, just a calmness. Players just kind of know where they're going. They're going to have mistakes. They have interceptions. That's football. But – they just look like a well-coached team. You're watching that drive. He's going for it on the 15-yard line. He looks calm. And when you talk to Sean and you talk to players, Alvin Kamara and stuff, after that you know, Washington game with the Hail Mary, you talk to them about the, the Seattle game. They tell you about how at practice they'll slow down. Sean will slow down practice on Friday, Alvin Kamara said over the weekend to talk about a play because he picked up something on Thursday, even though it went on on Wednesday, he wants to make sure he, he found a wrinkle. And, and now going to be like, dude, I'll be darned if in the game he was right and he was exactly on this. So his players play with a sense of calmness because coach has talked to them about the why you're doing what you're doing. And, man, I'm telling you, you cannot talk to Billy Napier about football and not get that. And that he, you you said something at the end of your segment that I think is is true. I would be absolutely shocked if that guy hangs it up, calls it a day, and hasn't won a national championship. I don't know who it'll be for, but it'll happen. Napier is a darn good football coach. I mean, a really good football coach. That I'm telling you, in my 20 years of covering here and as long as Sean's been here, he reminds me so much of Peyton. It's not even funny. And, and Sean's a really good head football coach, man. Yeah, the uh, little warmer around the edges than, than Sean, different kind of play callers, but for all the reasons you said in regards to attention to detail 
It is uh, a lot of similarities there. Gus, I've kept you too long, my friend. I got to let you run. Um, thank you for joining us as you do each Friday Pro Nola segment. Please thank your wife and family as well. I know we keep you away from them. But uh, we'll talk again next week. We'll be in the month of November. And, you know, we'll see how where the Pels are sitting. We'll see, um, we'll see where the Saints are sitting. This is a big one on Sunday. And I look forward to talking to you on your show next Wednesday, Wednesday my friend. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, let's do it again soon. It was a pleasure, man. You guys take care and happy and safe Halloween. No doubt about it. Paul Bacco, former major leaguer, played a dozen years in the league. One of Greg Maddox's favorite catchers, actually his favorite catcher. So, uh, Paul, going into the UL Hall of Fame tonight, we'll talk to him. We'll talk to Ashley Brignac-Domac, who's going in as well later this hour. It's all coming your way right here on the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette.